Driven Sports with Matty Ice, back and more fire than ever. And now, your host, the Iceman. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Drippin Sports, and this is your host, Matty Ice, and I have a guest. Uh, actually, a couple of guests, technically technically one, but uh, there's a couple of people in the same room as this guy. Normally, at the top of the show, I would do a little bit of, hey, check out MattyIceMedia.com and all that stuff, but honestly, I want to get right into it, and we're going to talk a little NCAA alignment with this man, Brad, from the Pub, Pub Time Podcast. Man, I totally fucked that up. <laughs> What's up, Brad? <laughs> Matty Ice, how you doing, buddy? And uh, my my visitors in the room have uh, have vacated, so just you and me, buddy. Oh, they didn't have um, to vacate. They could have uh, sat around and listened to our banter, because I think what we're doing is important and earth-shattering, despite uh, a lot of other stuff happening in the news. No, I would agree. I, I've honestly thought more about this over the last week or so than I have probably some more important things. <laughs> but it, it's just it's something I, I'm interested in, and that's why. And I'm just super excited about it. You know, um, you and I talked on Pub Time a couple weeks ago. And, well, Brad, I mean, not Brad, uh, Ryan and Dick were with us, of course. And we talked about, or you and I and Ryan talked, Dick didn't say a fucking word. Uh, we, talk, we talked about <laughs> traditions and college traditions that we liked. And it really opened the door to other topics, I think. And for me, uh, one of the topics that I think that it really opened up on was uh this realignment stuff because quite honestly this realignment stuff is it's all over the new i mean it's all over the place and honestly uh, i think that it's very important because it's such a seismic shift to what i think we grew up i think we're relatively around the same age you might be a little bit older younger i don't know it doesn't matter but we we watch college sports when it meant something and i think the meaning of it today is a lot different and this alignment talk that's been happening over the last couple years at least the the, the drive to this alignment has changed so much fundamentally about what we think of in terms of it, just college football, but I think college sports in general. No, I agree. I think when we were younger, it was much more um, regionalized probably, and geography mattered when it came to conferences and stuff like that, which we've seen in the last 10 years that all that's been thrown out the window uh, anymore for the most part i think money is driving money and tv or the money that comes along with tv deals is driving a lot of these uh conversations so i think uh at the same time though i get excited about some of the stuff that comes along with it i I love the playoff idea expanding the playoff I, i mean it seems so crazy to me that you know 20 30 years ago they decided you know sports writers decided who the national champion was <laughs> um yeah you know or whatever mm-hmm. so i'm definitely way into the playoff idea but the it's sort of going to turn into the haves and the have nots and i think that i know that at least my my lists are going to kind of highlight that i think it sticks out like a sore thumb but um you know, it, it, when money gets involved, you sort of lose some of the uh, the underdog uh, feel, and I'm a big fan of that. I, I feel like college football these days, and we're talking football, but I think there is more sports to be considered, and that's a lost element in all of this. Whenever we hear schools moving to and fro between these conferences, most people are thinking football first because that is the true moneymaker. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's not. And then we think of basketball, but let's take USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten as an example. 
they've got to figure out how to schedule all the other sports that people don't think about. And I think there's sports that you probably were involved in or have been involved in sports at that particular level at a university or at a high school where it's like, we don't get the same shine as these big time programs. So imagine UCLA lacrosse or whatever, trying to figure out how to play Rutgers in New Jersey. Like that's a huge, huge ask having to go back and forth a couple of times a year. So I, I do think that you're right, that regionalism is totally done. And I think tradition in a lot of ways is done. I, I would say that, yes. I mean, as a whole, probably tradition as we knew it is done. I do think that, you know, if we're talking about the current structure of things and maybe where it's trending, I, I do think that it provides the opportunity of maybe some new rivalries and new traditions. I do think they've done an okay job at trying to sort of preserve some of the longer standing traditions. I, I think they're, the days are numbered of those sorts of things. I mean, the Rose Bowl was one thing that they really tried to cling to for a long time, and it's sort of lost its luster, and it's not it's no longer the Pac-12 champ and the Big Ten champ nope. like it always had been. Um, but you're right, though. The, the smaller sports, the non-revenue generating sports are definitely what's lost in this. Um, you know, but maybe the justification is that, hey, as UCLA, you know, we're going to make X amount of dollars from being in the Big Ten. We can now justify that expense to, to fly our women's soccer team to New Jersey once a year um, to play a soccer game. Or something, and maybe that's the way they justify, or maybe they just simply don't care. <laughs> that's a realistic possibility too. I think the amount of money that's at stake, it doesn't really matter to them, like how what they have to do, because I think that the benefit far outweighs the cost, and not just the financial cost, but the the cost on the students. I mean, I, I think we're at this point now, and maybe you'll disagree with me, but I do think that we're at the point where calling it amateurism isn't quite as accurate as it once was, because obviously with NIL. The amount of money that's getting passed between these schools is ridiculous. I mean, just making a bowl game, the conference and how much money that they split. And it's it's insane. The amount of money is nowhere near what it once was. And I think that you even see that in the, the talent of the players and the crop of players. Like I always say this, when I was at Virginia Tech, the college football players didn't look like that. Didn't look like they look today the way that it was. That was 20 years ago. And the kids I went to high school with and that played football, they did not look like that. And I went to a private school, so we, they were actually able to recruit for football. It, everything has changed. And I think that we're heading toward a different paradigm where it's so much less, I don't wanna say innocent, but I think you're right. Traditions in terms of what we have always known have become now more regional, where these conferences have these longstanding rivalries that are gonna stay the same, but outside of that and, and outside of traditions that happen at these schools, it's not what it once was. And I think that it's a fun exercise for what we're doing here, trying to figure out a way to realign the NCAA tournament with, or not the NCAA tournament, the NCAA in general, thinking about a myriad of things. So what I want to do is get into what we were here to talk about. And the first thing that I wanna do is I want you to give your rationale for how you created these. What we've done is four 16 team conferences, and I've done that on purpose and I will talk about that in my rationales but I want you to get to that and talk about some of the things that went into how you made your list and then I want you to give your first conference which I assume is going to have Notre Dame in it okay so I kind of uh, tried to throw around a couple possibilities as far as how to lay this out um, you know I, I thought okay like let's do we 
do it geographically? Do we try to take a model of like the NFL or even Major League Baseball and have almost two leagues that overlap each other somehow and, you know, an East and a West in each league? And I, I, I try, you know, you know what I mean? Where like, you, you know, mm-hmm. USC and UCLA are in separate leagues, you know, they aren't the same conference, but they could play interconference, you know, whatever. I tried all these different things. Ultimately, I mean, and I even was like, okay, like, what if I take the current big conferences and keep those intact and just kind of shuffle people around? But what I basically did is I threw it all out. I Googled the top college football programs by revenue because oh. I figure money is what's driving this. So I was like the top 100 college football programs based off of revenue. And I started going through that list and splitting them up regionally. And... You know, it got to a certain point where obviously there's certain parts of the country that are a little heavier than others, you know, because I'm like, okay, I got to limit these to 16 teams. I end up, you know, some of these I'm like, okay, now I'm up to like 18 or 19 that fit in this geographic region. Who can I start pushing to other regions to move this around to balance it out? And I also tried to keep in mind some of the rivalries, trying to keep some of the rivalries intact, um, trying to obviously keep, like I said, geography in mind. And probably one of the uh, the third factor I would say would have been I, I did try to keep basketball in mind a little bit while doing this um, somewhat, but I, I, it was really difficult to do that. And I think that part of the reason is because a lot of there's a lot of really good dominant basketball programs that either don't have or that don't have power five football. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, the Villanovas of the world. Georgetowns, you know, those and we Butler, whatever, we can go on yeah. and on and on. So trying to think about how this looks with keeping some things intact. So I, I did a a West division okay. conference, whatever, a mid south, a southeast, and a northeast. Okay. Um if we're gonna start in the, the conference that includes Notre Dame. So I do I do think Notre Dame will ultimately end up in a conference. If I had a choice right now as it exists, I would like to see them join um the Big Ten, it just makes the most sense geographically anyways. And there's a lot of natural rivalries that exist. But in this case, the Northeast is basically a combination of the Big Ten and basically the ACC okay. or what should be the ACC. Okay. <laughs> um, that's that's kind of how it comes together. And I don't know if you want me to kind of rattle through um, those 16 teams or if, if um, you want to go through your kind of overall layout and we can hash it out. I'll leave that up to you. It's funny because I was going to have you talk about the teams in this particular conference with Notre Dame, but we actually went about this different ways. And I think that that's awesome because I started with our current paradigm and restructured based off a couple of factors. So I'm actually really interested in the business aspect of all of this and how this is happening. Because again, I think the average consumer or average fan of college football and whatever team it is that you align with are thinking about it in terms of a singular sport. And I think that that is football. But why this is happening has so much more to do with TV revenue that you talked about earlier on in the show. And one thing I do know is that the reason why these conferences are trying to poach specific schools is because of a, uh, I think it's a difference in rating or a difference in price and how these TV companies can charge people for what they call in-network and out-of-network schools. So right now the SEC, take the SEC for example as it currently sits. 
adding, say, Florida State or Clemson. A lot of people talk about that as, as something that could happen. It doesn't make any actual sense for them from a business perspective because they have those states in their geographic footprint. So when I put these conferences together, I kept three of the names of what we currently know because I think keeping those names at least keeps the tradition alive. And I created a fourth called the Miscellaneous 16. And that's what we're okay. going to keep it as because it doesn't matter what that conference is called. But I, too, tried to keep basketball in mind. And the reason why I asked you to try to keep basketball in mind is because what I also know and have learned is that the NCAA does not have a stranglehold over how the NCAA tournament happens. So it actually makes a lot of sense for these power conferences to have four 16 team conferences so that they can have their own NCAA tournament and split their own revenue without having to worry about revenue sharing with the rest of the NCAA. So the schools like Villanova's and Georgetown's would get left out of that paradigm, but would still be able to have something for themselves that would get a different money split with the NCAA. But it would open up the door for other, quote, mid-major schools like Bradley, for instance, to have right. a lot of those blue bloods out. So that's the way that I thought about it. And I didn't actually think about it geographically, but I did try to keep what we currently know and then add on to that. But I did switch some schools around and left some of them out that are currently in some of these big conferences. So um, you go ahead with your Notre Dame conference and then I'll go with my Virginia Tech conference. Okay, so the Northeast division, which basically includes most of what you'd consider to be Big Ten country and then some of the, uh, you know, the East Coast, north of the Virginias. So Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Iowa being the furthest west in this conference, mm -hmm. uh, Michigan State, Minnesota, Indiana, Northwestern, uh, Louisville, Illinois, Maryland, Purdue, Pitt, and West Virginia. Now, West Virginia actually, so there are three teams, three schools that are in the top 64 based off of revenue that I excluded. West Virginia was actually outside of the top 64. They were mm -hmm. like 67, but I included them. One, because they usually are at least average to above average in football. Uh, and they're also a good basketball school. Um, so I incorporate, I mean, and honestly the flip-flop there was sort of West Virginia in and kind of who bit the bullet a little bit here. And this is controversial, but Syracuse, it was West Virginia and Syracuse out. Um, and I know Syracuse is a really strong basketball school, but football wise, they don't bring a lot to the table. And like, in my opinion, like the true Northeast of the country, they don't give much of a shit about college football. Now no. they're, they're into college basketball, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of the private schools up that way. And they're into the NFL. Like college football is not really their thing. And like Boston College is another one that got left on the outside looking in. That was in those top 64 as far as revenue. Um, so those are two of the schools that I left out that would have fallen into that uh, conference. But I mean, and overall, like, there's a lot of really good natural rivalries. Like I said, geographically, it's a pretty tight region. Um, you know, with the West Virginia, Pitt, Maryland, those are all really tight. Be those would be good rivalries. You got Pitt and Penn State. Obviously, you have all the rivalries that already exist within the Big Ten. Then you're adding Notre Dame to the mix. Um, you know, Louisville, they're they're kind of on that edge between Big Ten country and what is like traditional SEC country. But I think they would they would fit in just fine. I think that'd be a, a great basketball conference. 
uh, to, I mean, top to bottom, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're starting kind of in the same realm. So this is what you consider the Northeast. So it's, I guess it's the Big Ten and ACC. I kept the ACC. And now when I structured the ACC, I thought about it purely from a basketball perspective, because if I'm the ACC, I know that I'm not going to be able to compete football wise with the other conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC, right? And if we, as we talked about, if the whole idea is creating this paradigm so that we can cash in on the basketball end, the ACC, in my mind, is probably the strongest top to bottom basketball conference. And maybe that's debatable. But if you think about having Duke, UNC, those are strong contenders. So when I put this together, like I said, I made a few shifts and left some teams out. So when I have the ACC, this is what I have. Traditionally, we have Clemson, Florida State, Louisville. I kept Syracuse for the basketball end of it. And honestly, every conference needs a team to beat up on. So that's why I kept Syracuse <laughs> right. in there from a football perspective, right? So it does work out because the cream of the crop in this particular conference have almost a guaranteed win on their schedule every year. I kept Wake Forest in there for academics because again, I think the ACC has a lot of academically strong schools if you think about it. So they're gonna wanna keep that paradigm. And Wake Forest kind of is not a pansy when it comes to football. Like they can compete every now and again with it. So you're not letting them stay there and just be a patsy every single year for being such a small school. Duke and Georgia Tech, of course, and now Duke takes the, the basketball. Georgia Tech has a, you know, a decent football program, but they're more academic related. Miami, UNC, Pitt, UVA, and Virginia Tech all state. Now, this is one thing that I did. I left out NC State from this conference and swapped Vanderbilt because I think Vanderbilt doesn't make a lot of sense from a football and basketball perspective in the SEC, but they make more sense from one, a competitive standpoint. And I think also it's adding another state to the, to the ACC. So they're adding to their geographic footprint and it's one hell of an academic school. So it's adding right. to what they're thinking about. And then I had two other schools that you're going to, one of them you're going to uh, balk at, but I had Notre Dame in the ACC mainly because again, I think if you think about what their goal is. So right now as an independent, they're getting the most money and they used to be able to play a bunch of schools. I think adding them to the ACC allows them to achieve winning the conference easier than it would be in the Big Ten or the SEC. Because again, I think the competition is less stiff and the whole point is to get to the playoff and then see how you go from there. So I added them there and then I actually added Connecticut. Connecticut football stinks, but again, they can cash in on the basketball end because they've historically had a good basketball conference or excuse me, a good basketball program. So I think if you're trying to add some states geographically in there, um, it's hitting a few things. Oh, I'm sorry. And I also left out Boston College and added Maryland back because Maryland and the ACC made a whole lot of sense. They can get that rivalry back with Duke and in, in basketball. And I think it just, this made a lot of sense to me geographically. We cover a lot of ground in terms of geographic regions. And also we have a lot of rivalries and can hold our ground in basketball. And that's, it is, it's so fascinating because like, I think I went at this with the approach of, I mean, an opposite of what they're doing now, but like trying to consolidate geographic regions. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you're talking about, you know, grabbing more states, expanding the footprint. Um, which is good I mean, it, when we're considering the, you know, expanding your viewership and things like that when it comes to the TV yeah. side and the money side. Mm -hmm. um, academics is also an important piece, but I, I didn't consider it a whole lot in this. Now, I know that that's what matters, or at least that's what a lot of university presidents are going to tell you matters to yeah. them mm -hmm. in terms of when they go to add schools, like do they fit our academic profile, this and that. I think that like the ACC and the Big Ten, like they seem like the two conferences that take that 
I mean, beyond like the Ivy League and stuff, they seem like the two conferences that take that the most seriously. I agree. Um, but at the end of the day, like I kept reverting back to like money, money, like money wins, money's what's driving the ship, uh, and that kind of, you know. And and I do agree. It's a good point about Notre Dame as far as a path to the playoff. In my mind, going through this, I keep thinking about like the playoffs going to expand. Like you're not going to have to be a conference champ to make the playoff. Uh, you can be, and we can maybe talk about once we get through these how we would structure our playoff um, under these circumstances. But I do think that you know, in an expanded playoff, if they did qualify for the playoff, they would be more quote unquote battle tested than they traditionally are or would be going through a conference like the ACC um, or your version of the ACC minus a couple of, you know, tough opponents. Um, yeah, so, no, that's that's definitely interesting. I, I'm really enjoying the contrast. Well, I think that's perfect. I mean, so just for the listener's edification, we didn't talk about this ahead of time outside of, hey, this is what I want you to do. And we didn't talk about how we were going to go about it or what we were going to do in terms of how we were going to structure this. So I like that we are completely on the opposite ends of how we went about this. But interestingly enough, we're still actually getting to a very similar place with it because my version of the Big Ten matches a lot of what your Northeast Conference or whatever you want to call it is like. Because if you think about it, the way that a lot of these conferences are uh, established now, there is a geographic element to them that has stood the test of time. And they're going to keep a lot of those things. So really, they're just, again, adding more states to their footprint. And you're going to get to keep a little regionalism. So I say you go on your next conference in whatever order you want to go in, and I will try to follow with whatever conference in my NCAA makes the most sense based off of what you just went through. Okay, so, um, and one thing I did do is I just shared my my Google Doc with you if it's easier for you to pull it up and have a look at it as we're going through. So uh, I'm going to go next with the Southeast, um, which is mostly... I would say it's it's about 70% of the existing ACC, maybe 75%, and then the Southern ACC schools. So Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, Clemson, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Kentucky, Georgia Tech, Miami, NC State, um, UNC, Virginia, and then Duke. And Duke was one that they actually, they're, you know, they're outside that top 64 when it comes to revenue, but it's like, how do you not have Duke? Just just thinking about basketball alone, like how do you leave Duke out? And so Duke, in this case, it's a Duke's out, uh, Wake Forest is in, mm-hmm. or excuse me, Duke's in, Wake Forest is out, pardon me. And then I did leave another outlier for me, it was Vandy. I left Vanderbilt out and yeah. I'm like, it was tough. Because I'm like, you know, the great academics, they have been strong at basketball at times. Their football program um, has not competed. They have a great baseball program, but baseball doesn't make money. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> and, <laughs> yep. and yeah, I mean, so they are, um, you know, they were left out in the cold in this situation. And then a couple other teams, schools that fit in this uh, geographic footprint that could be considered, and you may see be considered here in the future if this thing, if, we really do see this growing in like super conferences, even more so than it already is, mm-hmm. is central Florida and South Florida. Yep. Um, they were right there just on the outside of that top 64 with revenue. Uh, you basically, you if, if with the schools they have with Florida, Florida state and Miami, 
if you get UCF and USF in there, you you have every Division One school in the state of Florida. Um, now, do you need that? No, I mean you're going to be fine without it as long as you have, you know, if you just have Florida like they do now. You're going to be fine. But it's one of the the richest um, states as far as high school football talent and everything else. And I just you would have the potential to dominate the state entirely if you wanted to. And I think UCF's like has like the largest enrollment of any division one school or something like that. It's absolutely huge. It's huge. And that yeah. translates into money in most cases. So yeah, it's, it's, it's the major, it's the majority of the SEC, I would say. And then, you know, you sprinkle in some of those Southern ACC schools. And that's not, a, again, like what, you, what you're doing is actually the way that college football was, was, was basically up until right. the last, what, 20 years or so where yeah. all of these conferences traditionally had these schools in them and they were all geographically put together. So you're getting back to the roots of college of college football and college athletics essentially. But interestingly enough, you're doing it based off of revenue, right? So like you're talking about top revenue generating schools in the country. So it's a, it's a, it's amazing how regionally a lot of these schools are kind of aligned with each other in terms of revenue. Yeah, and what's interesting as we keep moving across the country through this, you know, it sounds like, you know, the Northeast and the Southeast here, you know, which is basically a conglomeration of Big Ten, ACC, SEC, they sound really strong. As we get out West, it, it the, the talent pool starts to dry up a little mm-hmm. bit, um, which is, I don't know how that's avoidable. And that's probably why you're seeing USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten things like that but you know it, it when you when I, when I get out to the west and I'll do that one last and you read through it it's very underwhelming <laughs> but I mean they're also these are also schools that are in that top 64 uh of revenue mm-hmm. or at least mo- there, there might be a couple outliers that I had to I had to find teams I could put in the west that fit geographically without sending like Nebraska west or Texas or you know hell or, or you know Iowa State or something like that west so I think I plucked a couple that were maybe in like the lower 60s, upper 70s as far as revenue goes, but they make sense. There's some natural rivalries and stuff, but we can hash that out when we get there. You are going to love my miscellaneous 16 conference because <laughs> you're going to realize, holy shit, he really is just throwing shit against the wall that was like left because I did the the top three and then I put those together and I have a bunch of them scratched out and stuff. And even while you're talking, I've rethought some of my my inclusions and I've, I've done it because I've got this notebook here. For anybody else who who's watching or listening, I have this black book. It's kind of like the Grail Diary from uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So it's got all of my notes in it. Uh, so then what I will follow with is my SEC because basically that's essentially what you just came up with. Right. right? So Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee. All those remain the same. Uh, Ole Miss, I got rid of Mississippi State because we only need one school from Mississippi. And I think Lane <laughs> Kiffin, if you think about who, you know, who is there now, I think that that makes less sense. I kept Kentucky for basically the the basketball element of it because I think that that's worthy of inclusion. I kept Missouri for the geographic footprint part of it. I kept South Carolina, same reason. And then of course, I'm assuming Texas and Oklahoma are going to be there, so I added them. And then I told you I took out Vanderbilt. Well, I swapped them with NC State. So NC State is in the SEC because, again, adding North Carolina. And I think they're more competitive than Vanderbilt was, right? So I think that you get a little bit more out of that. Plus, you get sometimes hitter, you get a 
hit or two on basketball. So you're getting something out of that. Plus the academics is very good. So that actually still keeps them in a similar overall standing there. And I added West Virginia because I think West Virginia geographically makes sense. And they're already, you know, playing some teams that are kind of out, out there anyway. And I think that they can make sense with a lot of these schools. So they stay relatively in that region. So if you think about it outside of Texas and Oklahoma, this really doesn't change a whole lot. And geographically, it still is staying within its lane for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I drew the line for my southeast at the Mississippi-Alabama border. That's kind of where the line ended up. And I sent uh, both Mississippi State and Ole Miss um, a little further west to what I'm calling my my mid-south division which is a lot like the old big 12 okay um it looks a lot like the big 12 with the addition of a couple of the western sec schools so we've got texas oklahoma lsu texas a&m arkansas ole miss kansas state oklahoma state nebraska uh, mississippi state can't leave out my guy mike leach um kansas which literally just because of basketball <laughs> literally just because of basketball they're, they're a terrible football program uh, but in money wise they're up there tcu iowa state missouri baylor and one i had to plug in to kind of this is where i was looking for a team too and it was kind of the domino effect it's like okay if i move a team from like the southeast here how can i justify that what happens next so i did um i did dig houston out from a little further down the list to plug them into my Mid-South. Yo, so man, this is great because my next conference has Houston in it too. So that's actually funny because I took a flyer on Houston and thinking he's gonna think that's ridiculous. I'm glad that you included them because that's amazing. Yeah, and it's a great market mm -hmm. for one. Um, they've, they've not been terrible at football. They've not been, they've had some really great basketball teams over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, you just I, you can't leave them out. I mean, especially it was it was an easy choice when I was like, okay, I got to find a team that's in this geographic footprint that I've created. Uh, who makes the most sense? Who fits? What's the best program left? And it was easily Houston. I mean, Harris County is one of the biggest counties in the entire country, and I would know that because of where I work. But uh, that's besides <laughs> right. the point. So that is your mid south. So this is my Big Ten, but that's only because this is kind of how we're following here in, in the yeah. same order here. So I'm going to leave my miscellaneous one for last because it's just so ridiculous. And you leave your West one for last. And I think your West is essentially your miscellaneous because you were like, well, outside of a couple, this is a whole bunch of throw-ins that I'm not really all that comfortable throwing in. Right. All right. So Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. Those are obvious. I kept Indiana basketball, of course. And I kept Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, all for the geographic footprint. And they're already there. Wisconsin, Northwestern, Purdue for academics, Nebraska. This is where things get a little crazy. So I kept USC and UCLA in there, assuming that that's going to happen. And then I added right. two schools, Houston to the Big Ten, because again, right. you're, you're going to get Texas and then Memphis, because you're going to get Tennessee. So you're sliding a little bit into SEC territory, trying to get some of that recruiting out there. Memphis traditionally has a pretty good basketball program. And I think with the right resources, they've shown that they can have, I mean, Justin Fuente, former Virginia Tech coach, made them a program that was noticeable. So I think that they have the ability to do that. And you'll notice that Rutgers completely left out. Yeah, I I struggled with that. I really considered, well, actually, no, I did. I did not, I didn't consider. I did leave Rutgers out. Yeah. Um, Rutgers is hard. It's really hard because they, they're such a small school in such a small market. I mean, they can't really tap into the New York City market. 
they don't really get that kind of play there. I think actually schools more geared toward your Northeast division, like in the Big Ten, get more play with New York. So I don't really think Rutgers has much of a chance to have a sustainable presence in a larger conference that's already adding. I mean, if you think about the way that it is now, we're not doing realignment here. Adding USC and UCLA, like Rutgers is going to get buried. So they're just essentially there for a paycheck and to get beat a lot. Right. And honestly, what's crazy is I felt like they were semi-relevant in the old Big East. Yeah, they were. Uh, you know, they were. They had some good football teams. I, I remember, you know, they, they had some good rivalries there. You know, back when, when the old Big East with West Virginia and... Um, you had Rutgers, Virginia Tech sure. was in it, Miami Syracuse, was in it. Virginia Tech, Miami. That was, it sucks. I mean, and really, what we're talking about right now is what killed that conference. Yes, football and the money behind it is what killed that conference. And have you ever watched the the Thirty for Thirty? The I think it's called like Requiem of the Big East. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so good. Yes, and it, it is. It's, it's sad, but it's 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 literally what we're talking about. I I just remember I thought taking Rutgers and putting them in a conference like. Uh, the Big Ten almost made them irrelevant uh, just because they're just so overshadowed. And I think you might see the same thing happen if I'm not, and maybe my memory's not serving me well, but isn't Cincinnati tapped to be one of the, the new teams in the Big 12? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now granted, that conference kind of lost its couple big dogs to the SEC in Oklahoma and Texas. But I think you might see Cincinnati just kind of end up just another team, mm-hmm. another program, you know, once they go to the Big 12, where they were kind of the the big the big kid on the block in the American. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all money. Again, money is the reason. Money is what's driving it all. But, yeah, Rutgers is kind of on an island for sure. And I, I won't we, lie. We left them out. Like, growing up, we watched college basketball more because that was what was on. I mean, Providence College was in the Big East, so we watched them a lot. And I miss the old Big East from a basketball perspective. Like that was some great entertaining basketball, especially when they had the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. There were just so many great games and Virginia Tech was nothing in basketball back then. But you would be able to see teams like Georgetown and Connecticut. This is back when you had John Thompson and um, Jim Calhoun, right? Like big time coaches were all in the Big East. And you're right now, Virginia Tech sadly is partly to blame for the big the big east going under because they were part of that big move in like oh three between the oh three and oh four season where them miami and some other teams i can't remember moved to the acc boston college might have been one of them we moved to the acc and that was the first real domino that took place but it was so long ago people don't remember that that used to be a thing because we're looking at it in the now and thinking look at all this this movement the acc kind of started and blew up that whole paradigm no, absolutely, it did, and uh, and even even after that happened, I felt like the the Big East still had some hope. But then once Syracuse left, I mean Syracuse, I felt like it was the straw that broke the camel's back, kind of right. I mean, once Syracuse left to go to the ACC, it seemed like it was it was all downhill from there. And that's when they were. I mean, they're still very good at basketball, but that's when you, you talked about you know John Thompson and you had. Jim Beheim mm-hmm. at Syracuse and all these great coaches in the the Big East that were just these huge personalities like larger than life. Oh yeah, and you know, and it was it was a basketball conference that had some schools that played football. Uh, yes, and unfortunately, football became the the driving force behind it because it's what makes more money. 
no, it, it is kind of sad to see the way it all shook out. The one thing about the current Big East is I think the current Big East doesn't have anything to fear because most of them are, if not all of them, are basketball first mm-hmm. schools, you know, which is good, which is weird. I think they just brought UConn back in, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I, I'm so. actu- I actually think that if this were to happen, if our dystopian NCAA universe took place, that the teams that have been sort of on the outside looking in on basketball, I think the NCAA tournament will still be great. We'll actually have two products to look forward to because we'll be able to really get into some of these smaller schools that are going to have a little bit more of a, a share, I guess, in in winning the NCAA tournament. And just because it doesn't feel the same as this other tournament, it's still quality basketball that's fun. And I like watching the NCAA tournament for that reason. And, you know, seeing all the same teams do well in college football does sour the product for me. So having in basketball, at least being able to see two really great similar products in the same competitive level, just not the same money sharing at, at the end of the day, that to me is is fine. Like, I'm, I'm happy with that. Well, and let's be honest, when you look at through these teams we're talking about, if I'm just pulling a number out of my ass, the top 10 basketball programs out of the 64 schools we're choosing are probably about equal to the top 10 basketball programs that are going to be left out of this equation. Yeah. You know, so you're going to have almost two somewhat identical products, but different in a way. The quality is going to be just as good. You're just spreading it out, which I I like that. As a fan of a mid-major basketball program in Bradley, I am a fan of that. But I think that, you know, because if you look through this list, there's a lot of piss poor basketball programs. Oh yeah, in these conferences that we're putting together, but again, that just shows how. Un- I mean, fortunately, un- I mean, I say unfortunately, it doesn't matter because the money is with football. Yep. So you're moving out west for your final conference. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Moving out west. So let's see here. I did have to kind of the reach here was Texas Tech had to go west. But they're the furthest west school in Texas that I included. Um, so this goes USC. I mean, it's basically the what the Pac-12, Pac-whatever was, and then a couple oddballs. So USC, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, Arizona State, Stanford, Utah, Colorado, Cal, Arizona, Washington State, Oregon State, BYU, Boise State, Texas Tech, and then Colorado State. And I think Colorado State, they might have been, I think they were outside that top 64 by a few. But um, I, again, this is a deal where I needed a team. I, I couldn't settle on someone in the sin, so I had to, to pick someone kind of outside that top revenue uh, classification. But, you know, like I said, they're, it's, they're right there in Colorado. They fit in the footprint. You have a natural rivalry with Colorado. And so that's what that's the way I went. And they've had some good. I mean, here recently, last year, I think was it last year, the year before, they had a really good basketball program. The yeah, team was really solid. Now, when I think of Colorado football, I think about their rivalry with Nebraska, and that seems like it was yesterday, but it was a billion fucking years ago. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for both schools, by the way, Nebraska is completely irrelevant. I agree. I and, and I'm some not people unhappy say them that. No, I don't give a shit about Nebraska. Some people say them leaving the Big 12 and going to the Big... I, I don't even know if that matters. It's just... It's all money. Yeah, it's all money, and they're just, they've just been bad. Um, you know, part of the reason, this is kind of a little fascinating tidbit, and I don't know how much truth there is to it, but that um, 
it's uh coach osborne right mm-hmm. was the coach there they got the you know the black shirts got nebraska going mm-hmm. he was the first college football coach to be like hey we need to do weight training we need a strength coach and that kind of implemented this whole like off-season strength training and implementing strength training to everything and they were sort of ahead of the curve on that which gave them i think a little bit of an advantage for a while to everyone else got on board with the concept you know, it's a part of you wonders, like, how much did that have to do with it and everything else? And then back back in the day, I think your major programs, like even Notre Dame, Notre Dame had the advantage of they were on national television every weekend. Well, I'm sure Nebraska, being one of the top programs in the country, was on national television a lot as well. And that mm-hmm. meant a lot to recruits at the time because, well, hey, I want to be on TV. Well, now everybody's on tv you know there's whatever night it is of the week tuesday when some oddball night of the week we turn on you can see akron and kent state playing you know what i mean like get a little maction going uh and you can get it i mean everybody's on tv and you can get it on demand like you can get it on espn3 or you have some streaming platform now that can get you whatever school you want it's not about exposure the way that it used to be it's really about playing time and i think when you're talking about nfl recruiting and you're talking about scouting most of the NFL, you know, scouts are looking at these schools that are in the top tier and you get a couple of great hits at some of these smaller schools, but they're rare. You don't see as many of them as you do. Like if you look at the amount of players that have come out of Alabama, amount of players that have come out of Georgia, I mean, even Virginia Tech for a while there was littered with first round draft picks. So it's not the same as it used to be, but I got to tell you, my miscellaneous conference here is not that dissimilar from what you have. Like, that's the crazy part <laughs> awesome. is I tried to throw a bunch of shit against the wall and see what stuck. And this is what I came up with. So again, I want everybody to remember that when I thought about this, it was thinking about football, basketball, and a geographic footprint. So uh, there's a lot of states covered in here, but it's not too dissimilar. Okay. So we have Baylor, we have Kansas. Obviously Kansas is there for basketball. We have Cincinnati because I think Cincinnati, again, like you said, they're an outside looking in, but I think that they deserve to be in and you can't, I could not justify putting them in one of the other established conferences. So they go in my miscellaneous here. BYU, UCF, Boise State, TCU, and Arizona. So that's the first half of that. And then you have Stanford, Washington, Cal, Oregon, Oregon State, Iowa State, because Iowa State was left out of my other conferences. And again, thinking about not trying not to have two of the same state, and it depended on the state, of course, but I tried. So I got them there. And then Utah, and this is the one that was totally off the wall, was UNLV. You got to have Vegas. Got to have Vegas in this. (laughs) So, and nobody gets left out of any other conferences outside of Rutgers. And I think Boston College, Boston College probably, but... uh, That's my miscellaneous conference. And I think it checks a lot of boxes. First of all, it keeps a lot of those West schools in there. I didn't put a Colorado school in there because I'm thinking about Colorado, Colorado State, doesn't really matter. I think you get the same effect from having UNLV, for instance, because you're gonna get maybe a decent football program here or there, but basketball, they got a lot of pedigree back from the Tarkanian days. And so let's keep that pedigree in if you have all these blue bloods in basketball. And I think, again, you have a lot of other programs that maybe in these conferences now, like Kansas, maybe won't be awful every single year. You never know. So right. maybe with this realignment stuff and not having to face some of the schools that they've had to face every single year, they have a chance to make a little bit more money and maybe put some more resources by having a, a better hold of a footprint 
in this new conference. And so I, I think that it opens up the door and even the way that you put it together, I think opens up the door, but yours is straight up geographic and I like it. And mine was building on what we already have, except for this ridiculous 16 that I just rattled off. Right. Yeah. And so the, the notables that were left out on my end, you know, Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, Boston College, Syracuse and Rutgers. I did leave out UNLV. I did leave out Cincinnati. Those are a couple schools that you included. Um, I did leave out U UCF um, as well. You know, and those were a couple of them. You know, like at one point in time, I had like I was thinking like, I have UNLV in, but then it's like, okay, well, who do you get rid of? And like, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not hard. You know, the Colorados were a tough one. Colorado State was a very late addition for me, but I'm like, they fit the footprint. They were up there, like I said, up there in revenue, and that was kind of a driving force behind this, since it's all money based anymore. And I figure, well, you got a natural rivalry, I guess, an in-state rival. I shouldn't say natural rivalry, an in-state rival, at least in Colorado. But there's not a lot. I mean, whenever I think of Colorado State, it, it, it I feel it's mostly irrelevant. <laughs> it really, even Colorado, Colorado hasn't been really relevant to anything for a while. No. So. No, but I just noticeably left off of all of our lists were the service academies. And I originally yeah. had them in my miscellaneous conference, but I realized that adding them here cheapens what they're all about. And I think that it would be better served to not be part of something that is strictly put together for dollars. Right. Just my thought. Yeah, and I thought about that too. No, I, was, I, I had that thought as well as, you know, gosh, what about the service academies? And and I was like, that's not, again, like it, you just said it, it doesn't really fit the spirit of this in no. a way. And, and that kind of brings up a question, you know, so, okay, we have these 64 schools. What happens to everyone else? You know, are we assuming that these 64 schools are now, they are separating themselves from the NCAA and they are now their own entity and that NCAA football would still exist with who's remaining just like NCAA basketball would still exist with who's remaining. Like, is this its own organization? Personally, I think that it opens the door for that, right? You could make this almost like a semi-pro league, so, to, so mm -hmm. to speak. You could do that. Or it opens the door for realigning the whole thing where we're now looking at 1A, 2A, right? Things like that. And maybe this becomes your top tier. And then everybody else creates a, a large organization that has a lot of similar things. It opens the door for some schools to maybe have a football program or have their football program be more exposed, right? And that's kind of the way that I would see it. I'm assuming that we're keeping the NCAA intact and that this is just sort of a huge realignment of it. Because let's be honest, the NCAA says they don't support some certain things like this, but at the end of the day, as long as they're making money and ge generating revenue, they don't care, right? They don't care. And if, if it comes down to, they have to have an NCAA tournament aside from this, like they'll figure it out. Right. And I do think it's funny that as you've seen all of this realignment and sort of the writing on the wall that the conferences are kind of like, you know, the big conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten specifically are really kind of taking control of this thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like the NCAA is just sort of taking a back seat. Like they, they're like sitting back and saying, well, we're just going to sit back and wait and see how all this shakes out and go from there. Because uh, you don't hear them, you know, anything out of them as far as trying to like regulate any of this. You don't really hear anything from them on the NIL front. I mean, they've really been silent. You know, I feel like you haven't heard shit out of the NCAA for the past few years in regards to football. 
I agree. And I think that it's on purpose because they are going to deal with whatever the fallout is. Like, I don't legally see this happening in a way that these 64 teams, let's say, would secede from the union of the NCAA because I think that would take some type of a legal action and it would become a, a semi-pro league and there might be some different legal legalities and, and legal boundaries that they might have to deal with that might be a little bit too difficult for some of these schools because how do you separate being an institution of academia but also being a semi-pro league you know like there's that so I think if it went down the road of this this becomes its own this becomes its own thing I think almost like these football programs are taken away from the schools, right? Or, or something like that. It becomes very difficult to parse that out. And so that's why I think the NCAA is quiet because quietly it doesn't really affect them. I mean, it, it's gonna generate ridiculous amounts of revenue. If you think about how much these schools were making 20 years ago and how much they're making now, it's ridiculously higher than it was. And the NCAA wins in the end because they get to say, Look at us. We're about education when they're just counting their money like crazy. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and kind of lost in all this. And we highlighted it earlier. But to think about the conferences that you and I put together, what does happen to all of the other sports, especially if something happens where these schools separate themselves? You know, is there going to be any consideration at all? I mean, because if I'm the NCAA and I'm like, hey, if you're leaving, you're leaving like you're mm -hmm. you're not going to go have your own football league but you're you know you're done lacrosse team wrestling team volleyball team are still part of the ncaa you know you're either in or you're out um and that's what they should do i think if they had any backbone at all they should say hey you're on your own like you're you're now if you're going to run a your own basketball tournament and all this stuff like you figure it out you secure the sides i mean you do it the ball's in your court figure it out and and i don't know how significant the infrastructure that the ncaa provides is mm -hmm. maybe it's not that big of a deal maybe they'll have plenty of money and resources that they can do whatever they want but uh you know like i said what happens to all the non-revenue generating sports throughout something like this i do wonder if sports and the movement around these sports like football and basketball is going to change the overall look of academia right higher level learning because these schools, whether we like it or not, are beholden to the money that they get from these programs. I mean, the, the money that comes in from football, 100%, maybe not at the same clip as it does get dispersed out to, to sports, but it does get dispersed out to the university so that the university can better their infrastructure. Like, you can't tell me that schools like Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, and others haven't benefited from these sports programs and sports revenues going up to the point that they have made their institution overall better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, the way I look at it is, like, your football, as an institution of academia, your football program is your front porch, per se. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, people are driving by and looking like, oh, that that's a nice place. You know, that, that curb appeal, per se. And when you have these schools now the impact isn't as significant i don't think in football because for the most part all it's always the same dozen programs that are at the top but i think on the basketball side like if you're going to tell me that saint peter's going to the elite eight didn't increase their applications mm -hmm. you know what i mean it absolutely did and i i think that from that perspective, it's at, it certainly benefits the school. That exposure and everything else, especially in the NCAA tournament, 
you know, uh, so the schools definitely benefit from the success of the uh, programs. It's funny. We could go down a total rabbit hole talking about what fans and viewers want from these sports, but it's interesting. The two arguments that I hear a lot about college sports, and let's just say football and basketball for this particular argument. So for football, it's how it's top heavy. I make this argument a lot. Like the playoff to me is not nearly as entertaining. I've actually become desensitized to it because we see a lot of these programs at the top. And I've been accused of, well, it's because your team's not a part of it. And I'm like, no, as a casual viewer of the playoff, I do want to see something else outside of what we've always seen. And just because Georgia wins and Alabama doesn't win, it doesn't feel the same for me. And in basketball, what's hilarious about the NCAA tournament is most people love the NCAA tournament for the upsets, but we don't want those upsets to go too far because we do want to see the familiar schools in these spots in the tournament. Like St. Peter's is a great story, but making the Elite Eight is like, all right, that that kind of screwed me over. Like, where, is, where are the Dukes? Where are the North Carolinas? Like, I got to see that. Because if St. Peter's wins the NCAA tournament, I don't know if that does great things for like CBS's viewership, for instance. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I know what you mean. And that's something that I've seen. I've heard a few different sports media personalities talk about this because I am a sucker for the underdog. I mm-hmm. would love to see St. Peter's win the NCAA tournament. But, I, you know, one person in particular I'm thinking about, um, well, Colin Cowherd, that's who I'm thinking about. He's, he says multiple times, uh, he's like, yeah, sure. Everybody says they love an underdog, but look at the ratings. You know, like back when uh, Loyola Chicago made the Final Four, you know, it's like look at the ratings in the Loyola versus whoever the hell they played game versus the other Final Four game that was between two, like, Blue Bloods. Yeah, it was huge you know, disparity. A significant difference, yeah. And he's like, so while everybody says they love the underdog, you're, what you actually do says otherwise <laughs> And, and he's talked about, too, he's like, everybody asks why I always talk about the, you know, the Cowboys and the Lakers and the Patriots and whatever. He's like, because that's what people want to hear about. You know, nobody cares about some of the Jaguars, you know, oh, for yeah. example. He's well, like, it, it just, no one gives a shit. They move the needle. Like, that's the whole point. Like, in today's world, and this podcast maybe is a is an example of this, like, you and I, as part of our, our different shows, we're looking for interaction. And how do we do that? We get that through likes, through retweets, through listens, right? Whole bunch of things. And it's really a smaller scale thing for what ESPN's looking for or Fox Sports or whatever. They're looking for interaction. They're looking for viewership. And these networks are the same way. When when we talk about this realignment stuff, the part of it that I think people leave out because it's not something that's in their brain space is how this translates to the amount of money that is paid by ESPN for the ACC network and how much Fox is paying for the Big Ten network, stuff like that. It all matters because they're able to ask a larger price from these networks by having more schools in a geographic footprint for them. So the Big Ten now is so much more valuable because their contract comes up sooner than the SEC, for instance. So they can add more schools and cash in on that right away and they're making a whole ton of money and it's just the, the the whole the whole thing is all about ratings and optics. And when Colin Cowherd says that, like, I mean, Cowherd's fine for me, but he's 100% right. And what people don't realize is like the ratings matter. So when people talk about, and this is not to get into this, but when they say like, oh, the NFL's taking a dip because of Colin Kaepernick. And I'm like, the ratings do not show that. Like the no. people are watching NFL football at a higher clip than they ever have. So that tells me 
that gives me the pulse of the nation and the pulse of the fan. No, I agree. You know, you're 100% right. It's the NFL, just the way they, they handled, they let that, they just let it play out. You know what I mean? Like, like anything else, no matter what it is, sometimes the best thing to do is nothing, <laughs> you know, oh, just, yeah. just, just let it run its course and whatever, because be confident if you're the NFL, be confident in your product. And now in our lifetime, as much as I hate to say it, it's almost, you know, everybody would say, well, baseball is America's pastime. It's kind of football. (laughs) You know what I mean? Past being the key word. Yeah. Football is America's game. Mm -hmm. 100%. And it's it's the number one sport for sure. Uh, And people are going to consume it. They're going to find a way to consume it. I I always think about my dad. My dad's a, a stubborn boomer. And I love the guy to death and everything else. But, you know, he was kind of one of those guys that thought, oh, I ain't watching this garbage, blah, 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 blah. It's political and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd catch him watching games. I'm like, I thought you weren't watching this anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. like, and it's just because you're going to – it's so ingrained in us, I think, especially as sports fans. Like, you're going to find a way to watch it. One thing we as sports consumers have to just – what we have to come to grips with. I did an episode in my other show about this, about there's uncomfortable truths in a lot of things, and there's a bunch of uncomfortable truths in sports. And if we spent a lot of our time focusing on all of them, we would never, we'd go crazy, right? Like, I do not like Deshaun Watson. That is on record many times. Ryan knows this. He makes fun of me because he's like, I get the I get the the feeling you don't like the guy. And I'm like, fuck him. I hate him, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I agree. I also, I also say that I'm part of the problem because I'm still going to watch the NFL, right? Like I'm still going to watch it because embedded in that is an uncomfortable truth that there's a lot of shitty people that play football. NCAA, I love college football. And embedded in that is a lot of people are making money. And for a very, very long time, the players that were putting their body on the line weren't getting compensated. I mean, people will say it's a scholarship, but let's be honest, it's not about the academics. So anybody actually trying to give me that crap doesn't understand like how much money is going and what they're going through. And it, it's it's just different. You just have to take into consideration all these things that happen in in the sport that you love and just consume it and try not to think about them because you can't like you there's no way you can have outrage every single place no and and that's what i said i said i'm gonna watch i don't watch the nfl or anything because i don't turn it on because i'm like i want to know what so-and-so's political beliefs are i don't give a shit i watch football because i love football and whatever your beliefs are whatever stance you want to take like I don't whatever side it's on I don't care like mm-hmm. it, it, it's just irrelevant to me because I'm that's not why I'm turning it on and you know I consume football because I like football and I'm not going to let that deter me from doing so and, and that's what always kind of baffles me is people that'll do that sort of thing like well you know I'm not going to watch because of this or that. I'm like, you're just hurting yourself. <laughs> you're you're the one that's going to, you think they give a shit? Like, you know, that you're not watching. They don't care. Yeah. Um, you think, you know, there's the NFL going to be like, ooh, you know, Jim Bob down the road's not going to watch us anymore. You know, they don't give a shit because millions and millions and probably billions of people are tuning in. And I've said too, and Ryan and I have talked about this. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on a podcast, but if you're looking at pro athletes, or movie stars, celebrities for moral guidance or political guidance, you're you're off on the wrong foot to begin with. Agreed. Like 
you watch them because they're very talented at whatever it is that they do period like i'm not saying there aren't great ones that are great role models that do the right thing but on as a whole like i think people expect too much of them just because they're famous or popular or whatever it's like there's a lot of pieces of shit that play in the nfl like you said there's a lot of pieces of shit that are um have won oscars and everything else i mean it doesn't mean they're a bad actor they're probably a great actor they're probably a great football player you know if if i'm you know, if I'm, I'm a Cubs fan, you know, I don't give a sh- I mean, not, I'm not saying, like, if you're a huge piece of shit, like Deshaun Watson, you're, you're a piece of shit. I'm not saying that. But, like, you know, if you're the second baseman for the Cubs, like, I don't care who you voted for. I just care, like, can, you know, how many errors did you have? <laughs> like, I just care if you can play second base and get on base. I think there's you know, room to that's accommodate. That's what matters to me. I think there's room to accommodate all of that, though. And that's what I think we have done a poor job of in general is – not affording people so like lebron james right let's take him because he's outspoken about a lot of his beliefs and all that stuff to me i don't think that there's anything wrong with him talking about his beliefs using the platform that he has you as the sports consumer don't care about it so you don't seek it out but there are other people that maybe right. do seek out his opinion but he is a citizen of the country so he has an opinion and, and rightfully so and that's why i think there's room for both and sometimes i think what happens is we are force-fed things through our sports that maybe aren't naturally i guess aligned together and you can tell and i think your smart consumer can tell because i know that as somebody who i don't you know i hate you don't use the word woke but like i mean i know what's going on around me and there are times when i'm fed a narrative and i'm like come on like when the nfl tries to tell me that they're all about like social justice and all these other things and i'm like come on like i mean why are you force feeding that into your super bowl narrative just for I mean, people know they can see through those things like you're letting deshaun watson play but you're gonna tell me about how great you're do- all these things we do in the community and it's like don't right. sell me on the fact that you're some wholesome product when you're not a wholesome product call a duck a duck just be what you are yes no i agree with that 100 yeah don't yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't want to literally repeat what you said because I, no. <laughs> I would just repeat it. <laughs> so let's uh, get off this tangent because we could do a whole episode, the three of us, the four of us, if Dick wants to, to talk. I'm still pissed off about that, by the way. You can tell him that. And uh, he didn't say a fucking word when I was on there. But every time <laughs> I listen to the show, he's got a lot of shit to say. So I'm taking that shit personally. Do it. Take it personally. <laughs> Call him out on social media. We'll, we can give you his Facebook, his phone number, everything, his address. Well, let's send hate mail. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, just uh, if you have ever listened to Pub Time, call the Pub Time hotline and send all of your vitriol toward Dick. That's all that I ask. Uh, but let's keep that. So we have four conferences, 64 teams, right? How do you yeah. foresee a playoff in this scenario? I'm just going eight teams. Me too. Eight teams. Your your four four conference champs get in, and I think you go. I think you go four wild cards, and I, you know I don't think you say the top two from each other. I think you go, you take your four conference champs, and you take the next four best teams, period. And hey, if five of the eight teams are from one league, well, so be it. I, I want the eight best teams, and I get that maybe the winner of one of the the West or your miscellaneous may not be one of the eight best teams, possibly. But if you win your conference, you're in, and then take the next four best teams. All the conference champs will play one of the wild cards. And you go, maybe you try to make it set a rule where you can't play someone from your own conference in the first round if possible. But that, that would be the way I go about it. I like eight teams. I like four buys. And again, I like, as, as you said, 
uh, each wild card from each conference plays you know another one like you're not going to get the same two and whatever but i do like reseeding in the next round so depending on who wins so obviously if you have uh, a one through eight seed and let's say the eight seed wins they should play the number one team in the country i think that that's fair instead of just whoever would be in the bracket because different sports have it differently but i like eight and the reason I like eight is because eight out of 64 teams is a good percentage of people of teams that make the playoffs and it should be difficult. That's one right. argument that I've had against the NBA and the NFL. I mean, the NHL is that half the league makes the playoffs. So it doesn't feel as special when you make the playoffs. Actually, it creates a paradigm where if you're consistently making the playoffs as the eight seed, you're not actually benefiting from being a lottery pick, but you're not also in the top tier. So like you're, you're kind of in no man's land there, but um, I do like, I do like eight teams. I think right now with so many teams trying to buy for a playoff that four feels so constricting and not expanding it is actually, it's not allowing for more revenue. That's the part that I don't really understand about this, but I know what it is. And it is people like Nick Saban who don't want to expand because they don't want to have their pathway to the national championship slightly trampled on by having another hurdle that they have to get over. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't, and I get this goes against what we were just talking about with ratings and everything else, but who the hell would not have tuned in to watch the, you know, coastal Carolina yeah. versus Alabama in round one of the NCAA playoff. You know what I mean? Hey, give those kids from, I get it. Alabama should run them off the field sure but give those kids from south care or from coastal carolina that opportunity i agree you know what i mean give them that opportunity run them out there it's not hurting anything it's hurting nothing by going to eight there's no downside you know i, I hate the term watering it down no there is no downside it's just more entertainment that's all it is is more entertainment mm -hmm. i mean cincinnati was deserving to play in the top four last year they had a season that was a great season they beat notre dame and they, they did what they were supposed to do. And you're right, so, Coastal Carolina, UCF, Cincinnati, they all deserve the chance to try. It doesn't matter if UCF went and lost to Alabama 62 to nothing. They had a great season that to me deserved to be there. And I think that the current, the current playoff format just is too constrictive. But again, it benefits these schools that are dominating in their conferences and are going to be in the playoff. And, you know, Dabo Swinney, who I can't stand, Nick Saban, old Urban Meyer, they didn't want any of that expansion because, it, again, it made it harder for them to win and stay at the top. And that's the thing is this expansion and all that, it actually threatens the not the legacy of Nick Saban, but it certainly threatens his dominance in, in consistent dominance because now you're opening it up to more schools and again more hurdles for him to slip up on well yeah because now it's well if you lose you lost to georgia yes right you didn't trip up against cincinnati or ucf or coastal carolina or whoever you know insert lower level team that wins their conference that you know whatever the case may be and you know i think you're 100 correct and you look at the uh you know the NCAA basketball tournament. That's everyone's favorite part. Is just you know the, that the first weekend of the NCAA basketball tournament is probably one of the best weekends in sports, in my opinion. And everyone's tuning in though that first weekend because they want to see the upsets. You want now you were right as you go along. It's like okay, let's eh, get out of here. You know now let the big boys play. But like those teams get that opportunity. They're not taking. You know the six a 16 seed that that 
has really probably no business being there. There's probably 25 teams that got left out of the tournament that are better than that team. 100%. They're not. They're not saying uh, "fuck off," you know, Baltimore County <laughs> or whatever. No, you let them in, and they beat the number one seed, Virginia. <laughs> and I get it's the only time it's ever happened, but I cannot begin to describe to you where that moment falls in my favorite sports moments of all time. And I didn't go to either one of those schools, but for the first 16 seed to beat UVA, because again, I don't find UVA objectionable as an institution. I, I know that they're rivals, natural rivals for tech, but I don't really feel that way. But their brand of basketball, I just, I can't. It's so boring. It's old style Princeton back when they used to do the backdoor cut. Now, when I was a kid, that was fascinating because the game hadn't evolved to what it is today. And I just, and they didn't just lose on a buzzer beater. They got obliterated, like embarrassingly obliterated by the 16th seed. Now they won the, the tournament the next year. So they, I think kind of redeemed themselves a little bit. I would yeah. say, yeah, they, the, the stain was a little washed off, but in that moment, like there's a couple moments in my life that I remember Red Sox winning the World Series in 04 that will probably never be topped. The only thing that maybe could top it is Virginia Tech winning an NCAA, uh, not an NCAA tournament, but uh, winning a national title, which is probably never going to happen. And like UVA's got it's up there, like it's totally up there because <laughs> it was just uh, it was just amazing. And UVA fans are not great fans like i don't find them to be great fans because they're not really sports fans you know what i'm talking about like there are yeah. schools where the fans are not into sports like duke sometimes strikes me that way but basketball they're they're a fan of the sport no i get what you're saying there's definitely you know when it comes to great fans for some reason my mind always goes to baseball oh yeah like because i think that baseball there's a, there's a, a big disparity you know, like everyone says, and I've experienced it several times. I'm actually going in a couple of weeks, but like Cardinal fans are great fans. Oh yeah, that they, they respect the game. They know, like, you know, they respect players on the other team. Like the couple times I've been, I'm going. Like I said, I'm going to get a couple of weeks. Like my uncle's fortunate enough to get some really nice tickets. Like we sit right down. Like you know, I've sat arms length away from the visitors on deck circle. You know, and saw. Uh, Oh, Jose Altuve a couple years ago. And like he hit his, oh, he hit some milestone home run. And it wasn't like celebrate or whatever. But the next time he came up on deck, a couple of Cardinal fans that were near me were like, hey, man, that was home run number whatever. Congratulations, dude. That's awesome. You know, they were like giving him props and stuff like that. Where like, I, I'm a Cubs fan, but at Wrigley, they would be like, hey, you piece of shit and throwing beer on him and everything else. You know, they just, they respect the game and, and things like that. So I know exactly what you mean as far as at least what a good fan is. And then, yeah, you have people that just, it's just, you know, almost bandwagon fans. Like, And I think that exists especially at, at different colleges because they may not even know the single name of a player, but just because they go to the school, now they're the biggest fan, especially if they're in the Final Four or their football team's had a good year. Yeah. Whatever. And there's a whole episode on delusional fans, first of all. Like, we could go through <laughs> yes. that. Yes. And, and I want to do all that. So I, I like what we did. I think that the way that we went about it being different was awesome. And I think that what we came up with would work for the NCAA. But if you're listening and you like either one of our, our super super conferences, let us know. But I want to give you, Brad, some time to shout out the Pub Time Podcast. So where can everybody find you? What are you guys all about? And what do you guys go, got going on in the future? Uh, yeah, so uh, me and my buddy Ryan, our friend Dick and Dayton, we make up the Pub Time Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Pub Time Podcast. We're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, 
Pub Time Podcast. You can find us everywhere you consume your podcast. Uh, we usually release a regular episode once a week. Usually comes out on Thursday mornings sometime. And we've just started doing a Pub Time Live on Tuesday evenings somewhere nice. somewhere between the 5 and 6 o'clock central time frame. We hop on live just 45 minutes to an hour is kind of what we're trying to keep it at. But, you know, our whole uh, gist is just like a few guys sitting at the bar telling stories, talking about what guys talk about at a bar. And, you know, we get off on some weird tangents once in a while. I'm not going to deny that. We we have a couple, uh, you know, we've talked about serial killers. We've talked about sports. We've talked about politics a little bit. I mean, you name it. We've talked about it. It's kind of an anything goes sort of podcast. Uh, definitely, as, as Maddie Ice has called it, an acquired taste. But uh, it is, though. It 100% is. And we just have fun with it. So check it out sometime. And definitely check out the episode called Out Cold. You hear a familiar voice on that, which is what spurred on on this episode here. So, Brad, I appreciate you taking the time out. For everybody listening, please go support Pub Time. Give them reviews. Subscribe. I mean, it's worth your time. They're good people and they are worth your listening ear. Uh, please visit MattySmedia.com to support the stuff that I do, of course, wherever you're listening to this. Some of this may go up on YouTube eventually because I just think it's fun to have a little bit of a video version of this, but uh, Brad and I might figure out how we're going to help or how we're going to elicit your help, the Twitterverse maybe, in paring this down to what would be um, you know, conferences that people could all agree on. But Brad, I appreciate you taking the time out. And uh, I look forward to having you on again and, and working together again. Um, so thanks a lot, man. And good luck with the Pub Time podcast. Yeah, thanks, man. This has been absolutely fantastic. And thanks for having me. Uh, it, this has been great to collaborate. And this was a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to doing it again. 100% agree. I hope everybody finds this safe. I hope you, you are happy, healthy, and continue to do so. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will talk to you next week. Peace. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.